Welcome to AI Nerd, AI with Attitude, where I try to make things as unnerdy as possible. Enjoy learning today about the latest trending technology. But before we begin, please subscribe, hit the notifications button, give it a like, and drop a comment below. Welcome to AI Nerd, AI with Attitude. And today, I'm going to give a bit of attitude to Jag Dalal. Jag is... He's the ninja of outsourcing. He's written more articles on this topic and spoken about outsourcing, impact sourcing in today's conversation of impact cultivating. Jack, how, how have you been and how are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. And in, in these unusual times, we have to remain flexible. That's right. And the small backdrop, I think is always humorous. I love to tell about, you know, because you've been in a, a keynote of a number of, of conferences I've been to. And our introduction was actually on a golf course where I almost accidentally created a manslaughter situation because I almost hit you with a really long drive. So once again, I apologize for that. At the same time, it was a great way to meet the, the keynote. I almost killed the keynote that week. So thanks for coming on. Well, that's the reason. The only time I'm going to talk to you is when you don't hit a golf club in the hand. <laughs> I'm, a lot, I'm a lot older now, so there's no chance for that happening at that distance anymore. Uh, you would have given a new meaning to impact sourcing thought of it that way. Impact sourcing from Titleist. This is not brought to you by Titleist. Anyway, Jack, how are you? Um, you know, I, I seem you're staying safe. Uh, you are, uh, you know, actually, I know you'll, I mean, from the, from all these conferences and, and we've talked a number of times in person for everybody who, who doesn't know who you are, could you just give me like the five minutes on you? Well, uh, I really don't want to bore everybody, but, uh, of my 55 some years of experience in the workplace, uh, I spent the first 40 some years as the head of uh, information technology for small and large companies like uh, Unisys, Xerox, uh, carrier air conditioning, and I really had the opportunity to be involved in bringing technology into business solutions. Speaking of outsourcing, I've had a couple of very interesting, uh, you know, things that I've had that I've done in the past that I'm somewhat proud of. Uh, the first was my very first offshore outsourcing was with a computer company called Data General in 1983. It was long before telecommunication, long before people thought of India as an offshore destination. I would love to say it was my strategy, but it wasn't. What mm -hmm. happened was that Data General had a, a subsidiary or a, or a distributor in India who was making a lot of money selling computers and at that time, India was not allowing foreign currency to be sent abroad. So I came with this harebrained idea saying, hey, why don't we hire some programmers and put them and bring the coding out? And that's how we got started. Uh, and, and really it was an interesting opportunity because we had to send stuff by Air India in a pouch and receive a tape back from India on a pouch. That's how we communicated because wow. that was telecommunication. I mean, ironically, the speed sometimes coming from India on communication is about the same speed as that uh, in an outsourced <laughs> relationship. Well, what, what is it? it the very first project was a somewhat of a failure because they coded exactly what we asked them, what we meant. I still see that, that yeah. in a lot of time in outsourcing, the you know, service provider delivers what you exactly asked in the specifications, but not really what you meant. You, so, you know, we're going to talk about impact cultivating today, but I want to take that tangent for a minute because I have absolutely, I've, I've 
fraction of the outsourcing experience you have. I mean, a, a fraction of a fraction, maybe. And but what I continually see in any of these, in, in, in India side, any outsourcing relationship um, is the, and maybe it's a cultural thing. And actually, I mean, it's the question is, is it a cultural difference to do what you're asked versus taking some liberties on creativity or this is what they meant, or just the culture of maybe clarifying, uh, clarifying a, a detail or a requirement. Because I see this, what you just described in every one of the instances, even today. I know we're absolutely gonna go off on a tangent because you're approaching a topic that I, that's close to my heart in talking about outsourcing. One of the things I always talk about, and when people and companies ask me, should we do an RFP or RFI? My first answer is, okay, that means you exactly know what you want. When you don't know what you want, you want to do like a case study. Put the case study in front of the service provider. Use their expertise to solve your problem. Yeah, it's more difficult to administer a case study-based acquisition of services. But if you're not looking for a, a, a solution that's novel based on their experience, rather than telling them what you want, which in all cases doesn't end up being exactly what you need. Uh, it, it, it's an interesting dilemma and all the procurement organizations, I, I know that you're gonna lose the procurement uh, executives from your uh, crowd. They all insist on RFP because it is rigid and structured and it's easy to evaluate and it's easy to defend uh, once you give an award. So anyway, you got me on a tank oh. that is close to, you know, that I, I believe in. Actually, it, I, I'll extend it. So I, I love tangents because I think it's, uh, this is what we do. We don't have any format really here except conversation. So um, what, one of the, I had a conversation with uh, a very smart individual uh, that I don't have permission to use his name here, but he, that we were talking about uh, uh, the, the individuals who make it over to the United States from India specifically that they're like, uh, my argument or my position was, is that they are not only the 1% of a 1% of likely smartest people on the planet to even get to the, to earn the H1B and do all the things that they come here to do. The, you know, it's no shock that their kids are outperforming most kids in school. There's no, cause they're already smarter people in general. But I, and I, but we were talking about is, but getting that same group into a Western sales mode of out of the detail is almost fundamentally impossible. And the question I had was, was it, is it because when, you know, you're going to these wonderful schools like IIT to make it in those environments, to earn the right to even be coming over to do these different events, you have to be so detail oriented in the weeds with everything to be successful that the types of individuals that you would need for maybe more of a sales environment in the West that are maybe broader, bigger picture, different focused, that's just, there's the overlap on that sometimes doesn't happen because just because of how the culture brings through school and education. Do you, have a, do you have a take on kind of that dilemma of what I've seen? And I guess the, 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 the bigger issue is the uh, India companies selling in the Western market sometimes is met with weight. There, there's too much detail. There's way too much into the weeds and proving the, the intelligence versus solving a problem. And I see this over and over. So, and I think it ties back to education and what, who succeeds in those environments. Long-winded well, question. What's, what's your thoughts on that? Well, before I really answer that question, uh, I have a saying for some of those people, don't ask them for a time unless you want to know how the watch is made. <laughs> now, wait, so what's the appropriate question if I actually want the time then? <laughs> is it to get a manager? I don't, I don't know who, that's the question. What, what's the question I should ask? Interestingly, you kind of raise the question. Don't forget, 
I was born and educated in India before I came here. I, I would assume you were top of the class. You may now own the school. We don't know. But selling was not really in my, as you are saying, was, wasn't quite deep into me. I really had to develop that as a skill set. And as I got into management here, that even became more essential that I needed to have that skill to communicate clearly and communicate messages rather than the detail. Even though when necessary, I can be into detail. And I can be in tremendous amount of detail if necessary. But I really have worked hard to stay away from it. And that's why, so coming back to part of my background, so two other outsourcing experiences I wanna share. When I was at Xerox in 1994, we outsourced our IT in the largest global IT services contract at that point in time, $3.2 billion contract. Then I became a partner at Pricewaterhouse. And my job was business development. You talk about selling, I was mm. at the front end. And I was able to sell a BPO contract that was five-year contract worth half a billion dollars. And it was based on a sales That's call. Huge. That was a cold call. Oh. So oh, I literally had- Like legitimately a phone call too, like I picked it up. It, it, was, it, was, it was, wasn't quite that cold. But it was a very first meeting with the executive vice president who really had no idea why I was going to go see him. Wow. You, and I was you, able you, to convince that the yeah. right thing for them to do to solve their problem was to outsource their procurement, accounts payable, and human resources to Pricewaterhouse. And we took it over, 2,000 people, and worked on it. So, yes, selling requires you a couple of things. I, mean, I know we're on a tangent. It requires you, yes, you do need the depth of understanding and knowledge in the first place, because that's the only way you can communicate. And part of the detailed educational background helps me that I can do the analytical piece in my mind and sometimes uh, fast on my feet as well. And that's necessary, but then had to develop a skill set of how do I take that depth of understanding, knowledge, analysis, and turn that into a set of words that makes sense to the person receiving it. And that's why I have started writing articles because I, I was not a good writer. And my wife still says she's a, <laughs> uh, an ex-journalist. Uh, uh, and so she does all the editing for me. And you should see how many red marks she puts on my stuff I write. But I had to develop that as a skill so that I can then communicate at a level without getting into the weeds. That, and that, you know, that's, I mean, I've read a number of your articles and that's uh, apparent that you can get into the weeds and still, you know, have a point of view, supportive data and a, and a, not like a, maybe a one or two tactic type of thought, but, you know, a much more strategic point of moves out kind of a, and I, I love chess, so I, I relate things to chess, where if you can think a lot of moves ahead and articulate that in an article that comes through. Uh, and, you know, to come maybe back from the tangent of, you, you, you've done a number of keynotes. I know that dilemma has changed. I'd love to hear, you know, a couple of lines on how you've seen the, the guest speaker, the, the, you know, the keynote, the, the guest speaker, the, those types of uh, paid engagements, how they've maybe changed since COVID. But I'll tell you one thing, I think if from a consulting thing, I know you want to do as least work as possible in these days, but the is 
the coaching of taking companies from that, that are primarily, I'd say, India, Asia to Western markets would be you have, I mean, my word, just spin up a consulting firm on that now, because it's a continually a problem. It's becoming worse now that it's there's no inner human interaction. And it takes a whole different skill set that you're describing that you had to, you know, cultivate yourself uh, over time. And, and it's, a, and it is a rare piece where you can see people come out of the details to be able to the bubble up, be smooth enough to get you to buy into the story. At the same time, know that right behind that is way more detailed than you can ever consume. So I don't know. So if from a, from a keynote and, and, and from ways you can go, I think that would be a, a fantastic project and a really helpful one to a number of companies and people too, right? To say, here's some just mentor training on how you do that and, and set them people on a path. So, and, and I think you'd be fantastic at that. I mean, I'd sign up for that. So, so that, that's a good point. So one of the things I was going to talk about my career and my background, for the last two or three years, I've decided that I worked hard enough to kind of make money. So now, the last two, three years, I have completely devoted almost 100% of my time on helping companies that make an impact on the society. And that's not just the, in terms of helping them develop market, which I'm doing with some of the companies that are truly called the impact sourcing companies. But I'm also working with an organization called Wells Mountain Initiative, who provides scholarship to students in Africa. And I actually look at their applications, I review their applications for scholarship. And when you read their story, you're absolutely amazed at how dedicated they are to learn and, and not have the means to complete their education. And that makes a difference. So, so to me, impact cultivating that I'm, that I'm talking about, that I'm writing the article now that I'm gonna be ready to publish within a probably a week or two weeks. One of the things I'm talking about is really in order to make an impact in a society, you have to cultivate. And a part of cultivating is providing educational background, educational opportunities for those who don't have it because, and it's not just in Africa, it's even in the US that there are, <clears throat> societies and there are locations where people want to go to school, people want to study, but don't have the means, don't have the opportunity, don't have the familial support, which is one of my three cornerstones, that you need a familial support in order to complete and become somebody that can make a difference and therefore impact sourcing becomes a key item. So when you go and say, hey, I want to enter into an impact sourcing engagement with uh, a society, a good location, a group of people, you sort of have to ask the question, what have you invested in cultivating that location? What have you done in investing in cultivating their capability, their skill set, their ability to work in a workplace environment? Those are all important because you don't want to give them a job and have them fail. And it, well, so let's take a step back. So define impact sourcing. And, and if you want to keep it maybe in relativities to US, if that's where it's implied. If yeah, you know, absolutely. And then what impact cultivating? And I know you have a very good example that I want you to share on where you did this uh, in some more modern technology uh, here in the kind of Southeast, I guess, of the US. Yeah. yeah. So the impact, impact sourcing is really, as a company, as a business, you want to give a contract or give a services and a source your services from a company that's located in an area where there's an economic downturn. 
an economic downturn, maybe because uh, they're poor, because they're race, because of their refugee status, because of their lack of ability to do the work, mental, physical, whatever. There are companies out there who are now focusing on establishing their services center. So one of them is PeopleSource that I'm kind of advising in my own way to really establish centers. So they established a center in Mississippi Delta in Clarksdale, a population of 26,000, mostly black, mostly people who could not leave the town for other reasons, had some education, had no job. And therefore the only job they had available to them was flipping hamburgers or uh, working in a mill uh, of some kind. They set up a center there. And really one of the things that I have kind of suggested, they've worked with it, is really focus on a newer technology. You see AI tools. And the reason I strongly believe, let me, let me sidetrack as, as you always like it. See, one of the things that happens is that if you go into an area and employ them to do the low end work, it's gonna be only for a period of time that's short. It's gonna be then eliminated. And, and the example I tell them to give people is don't forget the biggest use of cell phone technology better than the US is in Africa and India. And the reason is they chose not to invest money in the older technology and build the infrastructure. They invested in the newer infrastructure. Therefore, they, I mean, you go to those places and you have signal everywhere. Here in the US, we get dead spots all over. So get in my house. Uh, yeah. So, so the whole idea is that in order to really make a long-term impact on a society, focus on the newer sets of technology, newer set of capability, skill set, so that their job doesn't get eliminated. Another example, like well, I, and I think too, I interrupt you, but I think that is fundamentally a way as a country, um, any country, you advance your entire organization or leapfrog, you're not always trailing. So if you've taken the time to invest in your own people to have more modern technology, have a capability set, which becomes then a ground stakes level of, of uh, or there's more availability to actually perform that task. The need to go to other countries to source it is diminished. And the relative costs, which I, you, you know the details way more than I do, but I do know the relative cost of leveraging um, smaller towns, smaller, more uh, economically impacted areas is actually, I think, cheaper than outsourcing because of the management, the time changes, the just general overhead that goes with an outsourcing contract. And then the, the good that you're doing just as a tax base, and all the other things that go with having jobs in an area only helps your own uh, country, so to speak. So um, politics aside, I think that's that's yeah, the way to also go. Don't forget you that when you go into area like the Coxville, Mississippi and employ 100 people who really did not have a meaningful job, meaningful skills and technology, talk about dedication. You're, you're gonna have the most dedicated workforce who, because they're given an opportunity, are thankful. And therefore, they're totally dedicated to providing the best service they can. And, and so you're making a difference uh, in, in a much larger scale. The second aspect of that, and, and that's why I talk about the impact sourcing impact is not just on the 100 people that are there. It is the family. It is the economy in the local area that is impacted even greater. They're going to be paying taxes. They're going to have a higher level skill set. They're going to have a higher ability to communicate and raise 
the rest of the community around them. I'll give you another example. So People's Shores had a, a big event back in March when we used to travel and go somewhere like I did and visited. So they had an opening ceremony and they basically invited people from the town, not the people who worked there. And that time they only had like 25 or 30 people working in the, in the center. They had over 100, 150 people just to come in and cheer and thank them for bringing jobs and a new technology into the town. So it, it is at the impact of an impact sourcing is not just on the few, but it's on many. Yeah, so you give the opportunity. So it's the, uh, the metaphor of you planted a tree. I think the cultivating side of that you're describing though is going to be, you better have some water ready and you better continue that growth. And not just in maybe that area, but other replicated in other areas. Otherwise the momentum is generally lost and it becomes an empty factory once again. To I totally agree. The, the second part of the impact sourcing that uh, probably I, I can get on my soapbox now and back to my RFP issue. Please do. The, 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 some of the companies, some of the businesses say, I'm into impact sourcing because that's what they want to market. That's what they want to talk about. Oh, I give jobs to a company that's Black-owned or a veteran-owned or a female-owned. So I had the opportunity to communicate with somebody recently. And they said, oh, yeah, we're, we're going to put out an RFP and send it to the female-owned and Black-owned companies. And I said, okay, so is the RFP ready to go? Yep, it is. I said, is there a question in there that says what percent of your company population is black or female? How many in the management? Because what happened was that they, they selected a company that clearly was minority owned, but that was it. The rest were not. And I said, if you're going to talk about impact sourcing, you to impact the entire community, entire society, and look at from a perspective much broader than who's at the top of the pyramid. You know, that, that's it. So I had a recent interview and discussion with uh, the submarine way, and, and they, they're out of Augusta, Georgia. And Dickey Copenhagen, who was a nine-year mayor there, does things on the smart cities of the future. And, and those two together really stress... Uh, Diversity, but not for the sake of the checkbox. So that what you described was the checkbox and then real diversity. So let's actually get into the weeds of what your company is as opposed to on paper, what you're representing. Uh, spot on. And they're seeing that as being, you know, there's a high demand for that right now out in, in the world because people really are getting left behind a, a number of places and the system's just being gamed left and right. But, but can you get into the details of what the, maybe the steps of cultivating really is? Well, the, uh, the way I'm defining it, there are really three different ways of uh, cultivating. And, and I'm kind of defining them in a, in, a, in a broader sense. So the first one is what I'm calling resource channeling. And, and what that is, is that the, you need support from organization who can find the resources, define the resources and channel them so that they can be employed in, in a working environment because quite a few of them don't have had the opportunity to learn the soft skills maybe. They've not had the opportunity to actually drive to the workplace, don't have the capability to really be employed full time. And, and I'm calling the resource channeling. So these are the people, mostly non-governmental charity organizations who then provide the support 
to these people and take away obstructions they have before they can be cultivated. My second aspect of that is what I'm calling familial umbrella. Many of these people can't work full time because they're taking care of their children. They're taking care of their adult you know, parents or, or sickly relatives. You need some kind of familial umbrella around them so they can free themselves up to be employed and, and be meaningful in what they're gonna do out into the future. And a third is what I'm calling educational enablement. That these people, if you're gonna make an impact, has to have the educational background. And that's back to my WMI example in Africa, that the investment in education is the, one of the key steps. Yeah. And, and so the idea is that you can't expect, so you can't say, hey, I wanna do an impact sourcing engagement with a location of a company, expect the people to be fully trained. So people source, the one example that I've been giving, actually have people that they hire, put them on a stipend for a period of six to eight to 10 weeks to teach them hard and soft skill first before they are engaged in providing services to the customer. That's the educational enablement. And that's an investment that you have to think about. So to, in order to cultivate, you need all three things in place. Otherwise what's gonna happen is you might actually get started, but it'll, it'll fizzle away. Yeah. I'm seeing this uh, in other forums as well. So recently I had a conversation with the School of Automation out of Scotland, and they're doing this with 16, 17, 18, 19 year olds who are uh, really not fit for college or university, just from whatever reasons, maybe it's, uh, you know, educational just disposition to not being in school, but they're highly intelligent, can do technology well, and they're finding um, really good uh, results with their, you know, these young adults, kids, even if you want to call it that, are getting trained, certified in intelligent automation technologies. But they are, they have a big piece, I think you're describing well, as you still need, they have some uh, government, uh, you know, state support, if you will. So they, they have additional funding that comes in to help cultivate that set. And so if you don't have that, is it, is, is it, is it possible? Or is it just too much of a hurdle to overcome if you don't have the, the local, the SLED, the state, local education, all that type of a support? Well, see, again, in the article that I'm writing, I'm saying, yeah, that is, a, that is a support. However, that is a very temporary support because governments change. Governments' priorities change. And as a result, you may have start and stop arrangement, and that doesn't work. And, and so it is important that there are other means, and, and that's for the charitable organizations, that's for Gates Foundation, and, and, and these are the people who are making the investment that you can count on for a longer period of time and not just the state and local and the federal government providing, providing that. I wanna come back to one more thing on the resource channeling and talk about another organization that people should know about. And that is called Global Mentoring Initiative. It's an organization that started by John Browning. They provide mentoring services to people that are just graduating from school so they can obtain jobs. And that's part of resource channeling because they don't know how to interview. They don't know how to approach and look for jobs. And what the Global Mentoring Initiative is, you mentor the students so they can be effective as they enter into the workplace. And to me, that's part of cultivating. That is part of resource channeling. You know, I, 
I hear this and I get, I, I, I get inspired to be like, man, I'd love to do something. You know, I live in Atlanta to do something with the city of Atlanta or in Georgia additionally, because I understand the intelligent automation and AI space well enough to certainly, you know, pick the right technologies, put a school, so to speak, in, in a path that, you know, and, and train and, and help connect, make the connections. I wouldn't know how to start. So <laughs> um, what is it? Give, give me an example. Let's say I wanted to do this and I wanted to be, you know, I wanted more meaning in my life. I wanted to go out and build something bigger or leverage the, what I have already learned in, to, to do this. How do I begin? Like, is it, I don't, I have any sense of how much political capital you need, or I just don't, even, I have no idea how to begin. How, how does somebody take the initiative to go build ACE, the first center to start training young adults in this or, or, or to start cultivating? I'll give the example of Murali Valaganti. He is the founder of People Shores. He was the founder of Rural Source in India, where he set up centers in rural India, to the point that now there are some, what, some 13 centers, 3,000 employees in those locations. And he came here to do the same model in the US. What it takes? Whole lot of determination and a conviction that you're going to do this. Go reach out to your network. And, and all people have network that they don't really use as much. I'm a firm believer in networking. And all he did was really created a network, reached out, and relentlessly never gave up on his vision to get this going. Just think about it that, you know, he ran into the person who was an economic development person in John Livingston in Clarksville, Mississippi and just talked him into visiting India to see what can be done. And, you know, and convinced him that that's the right way to go. And he became their uh, big supporter, champion. Yeah, I mean, you had government, uh, governor support, I mean, at that event last year. And that, I mean- it didn't start that way. Right, exactly. That's where, it, that was the cultivation of, or the, the ribbon cutting, if you will, of that. Um, have, so having a local development, someone who's charged with finding those pieces, I'm sure they are overwhelmed with opportunities that they don't know. I would think, I hope they're overwhelmed. Like, you know, I don't know if it's a, it's not like a business development for a city. I, how, what's the role you just described that, that would be the right person for that? Okay. So I'll give you another example, my personal example with people's yours. So once the Clarksville Center was operational, they said, okay, we should look for other locations. Through a common friend said, hey, you know, in Mississippi Delta, Arkansas area has a lot of need. So through a friend, I approached two people, a professor at the University of Arkansas that I know, Mary Lessery, and you probably even know her because she's an absolutely well-known uh, figure. And through her, I met somebody, the Dean of Business School. Through that introduction, introduced me to the head of Chamber of Commerce, who then introduced me to the local um, business, Better Business Bureau, who then introduced me to local development authority in an area of Pine Bluff, where there, um, un, there's a 35% unemployment and an and area. It, so in, out of that became a next possible center for people source in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. 
And then people shores, you know, they have a further reach now. That is, this isn't their only thing they're doing, right? There, there is. That's all they're doing. That's all they're doing. That is all they're doing. Wow, that's amazing. So that whole the whole models around impact sourcing and cultivation. One hundred you know, percent. Awesome. And then they're trying to do. They did their first. I, I always like to say, are you you know, I love progressing in a Fibonacci manner. One, two, three, five, eight. You know, thirteen, twenty-one. Are they taking that approach where they're trying to do two next? Or are they going one by one by one? No. Oh no, no. There, there are there are two that are in the in in the works. But see, in in each of those cases, it, it, it is. It took me months to go around and and network with all of these people to go make that happen. It doesn't happen overnight. I mean, thankfully, right now I'm retired from my any other work, and so I have time on my hand. And besides, uh, you know, I'm trying to improve my golf game so that I don't get hit with a ball again. That's just ducking. Uh, wear, wear a helmet, stay in the cart longer. I mean, that's the, right. clear the green. You guys took too long to putt. So, yeah. so, so the whole idea is really, uh, you have to be committed to it. And then you have to have people like me who are relentless in networking and have no fear. I mean, you talk about selling. Right. I, I really had no fear picking up the phone and calling people and say, hi, I'm so-and-so. You don't know me, but let me talk to you about this. Let me drop my resume on the table. Boom. Hear, hear that. Once you have a vision, and once you put what the vision and mission is, most everybody gets on board. So let me let me shift gears then. So you know, AI nerd is is my own pet project for uh, cultivating a community of people who care about technology, its impact on us, and in uh, in another piece is too, just how you deal with day to day life of everything, right? And technology is always in the core of that. That being said, why not do this model uh, online? Why not do this as a this is an actual school you can join. All you need is that mobile connection. You probably will need something if you're doing some technology. Do, do is that enough? Can, if someone's in the school and you've gotten donations, could you have done? Can you do it virtually around the world with very capable people that have met a certain criteria of remoteness and unavailability? That's a beautiful theoretical question that won't work. And I'll give you all the recent examples. Just think about how many schools in the inner city areas who cannot go into school right now because of pandemic and have to work from home and can't because they don't have computing equipment and they don't have network. Until we have that cultivating across the board, yeah, that's, that's a good theoretical model that will work in what I'm gonna call non-impactful areas. All right, so, and that's where I was alluding to. I, I would think that you have the ambition to do this online. It only is going to benefit those who probably don't really, they're, they're already available. They're already now, what about, so what about though, if you take a, a, the example you gave and you do have a center and you have all the technology there, but parents still can't get them to, you know, get, you, parents can't get younger, you know, if it's a younger target, like a 16, 17, 18, you know, younger uh, people can't get there because of family commitments. Does do the center sometimes do like shifts, if you will, like, hey, there's one from seven to four today, or seven to two, another one's from one to nine, or something ab like that. Ab ab absolutely. I mean, and, and, and that's where my familial umbrella comes in, that you need to have that support. It doesn't have to be just an immediate family. It has to be some organization that say, hey, I'm going to run a bus so that I can transport them. What People Source did, which is incredibly amazing, that in Carsdale, they found out that there was not enough clinic available for pediatrics. He built 
He built a pediatric clinic in the same building. Didn't staff it. I mean, all it did was investment to build it. So it's there. And 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 so you have to think beyond that. I'm just going to hire them. And you have to think beyond that and say, what do I need to make sure that they are here? Yeah. They're committed and take away the obstructions that are in their way. Hey, just just setting up a child care for those who are in the school exactly. for no cost. Like here's your child care. It's included when you're in. And, and that's, that's the familiar umbrella that I'm talking about. You know, it's so there's two people that I think that want to get a hold of you. Those are that are inspired to, to be like people shores and need help to kind of put that network together in peace. And the others would be uh, companies who want to get involved or at least want their technology. Maybe they're, they're the founder of the technology piece that's going to be learned, which is we'll provide the equipment. We'll provide the technology, the training, all that. We just need a, we need a home to go put it in. Can you, you know, and connecting those two together uh, though, is that fair to say that those are the two people who should be calling you for this? No, there's one other. And, and that's the one where Ross Mountain Initiative is talking about giving scholarship to students in Africa and other countries where they don't have access. Because you still need to develop tomorrow's workforce. And if tomorrow's workforce is not invested in with the scholarship, with the support and mentorship, mentoring. So I think that you didn't need all three. You need someone who's going to employ them. You're going to need somebody who's going to educate them. And you're going to have somebody who's going to mentor them. All three. Because that's the uh, that's kind of the, the progression of it, and that's the true that's true cultivating. So it's it's that, more that is true cultivating. You need someone who's going to train, and once you're done with that, I need to be hired, and then what do I do next? That's the mentoring. That's the road ahead. Exactly. If you don't have all three, the cultivating three factors of cultivating a source of anybody actually actually I would argue that's important for anyone's career, but more important when you're more susceptible to fall back to just screw it. Right. I, I just, I'll go back to where I was and I am not going to move forward because I just don't know what to do next. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, and, and that's the reason, you know, I, I hate to keep bringing up uh, some of the articles and stuff that I've written. Uh, but you know, one of the articles I wrote uh, that I called it hope, where I define hope as hope, opportunity, prosperity, elevation. That's, that's what you need. That's the hope. Yeah. That, that you need the opportunity. You need the, someone to make that happen, elevate them. You know, the, that's ironically, that article called Hope. The, ironically, that's the name of the first song I ever wrote on my guitar, by the way. It's no <laughs> words, but it was called Hope. Anyway, <laughs> it's Hope. Uh, Jack, I appreciate all your time. I would like to end every one of these with make a prediction next three to five years how has this world changed what have you done to, you know i think we already know what you're going to do to impact it but how has it changed it, you know do you think five years is enough make a prediction um uh, i wish i wish five years is enough because what we're talking about is really altering the thinking of the businesses that exist today who are partially based on past thinking you need people like me out there getting on top of the roof and yelling saying hey if you don't do this there will be dire consequences to come social unrest economic downturn simple example and i'll finish it with that you know there are 540,000 pizza delivery people in the united states 
if there is an automated robot delivery in place, what are those five forty thousand people going to do? Fix the drones that deliver it would be my guess. So, so the whole thing is that in the next five years, next seven years, we have to think about cultivating the resources in all different ways that we're talking about, and not think in terms of small numbers. We got to think in terms of bigger numbers. We got to think I about not just a city, a state, a country. We got to think globally. Yeah, and that's. I think that starts at the grassroots up, and I think of the. Uh, I, I believe you still need some larger overarching federal to state support to really encourage that, uh, which is ironic because you know there's encouragement to use global systems and gig economy. At the same time, you have all these resources here that are readily available that are uh, as effective sitting there and, and not being leveraged too. So it's uh, it, it's gonna be a very, I, you know, I think your, your prediction is, is correct that it's not gonna be five years because of, I, and I think the pandemic in particular has shown that there's going to be a really big change of how people think and leverage resources in general. Uh, and then just becomes a cultural acceptance of how you do that. If it's going to be, I'd rather work with people, Americans, fine. I'd rather work with people from Africa, fine. I think it, it, that fundamentally is going to shift that I just want to work with the best people and wherever those could be. And then it just becomes a race of who could be, who is the best. So the, the, the point is that you don't know who is best without giving an opportunity to them to prove. And that's that's what impact sourcing is. Impact sourcing is providing the opportunity to prove to you that there are people out there who can do the job. I, I can't wait to read your next article. And, and honestly, I can't wait till we can get back in person, delete it up uh, and, and hear the, uh, the 40 minutes you'll give on this, walking around the stage, <laughs> you know, walking around, I know your style there a bit, so. I really appreciate your time and all you've done with this uh, in, in absolutely, you know, and I always make a joke for the 85 people that are going to launch this. They're really going to enjoy it. So I uh, very much. really appreciate you. You have a wonderful day and I hope Thanks. to catch up with you real soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed the video today. Thank you for listening, watching. Please subscribe, turn on notifications, hit that like button and drop me a comment below. AI nerd, AI with attitude.